you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the, world. in the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times. Because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. It's Voss here from the ChrisVossShow.com. The ChrisVossShow.com. Hey, we're coming here with another great podcast. We certainly, certainly, have I ever told you, we were just sat down in a conversation to say, I really love the fact that you guys all listen to the show. Ever told you that from the deepest part of my heart? Don't make me cry. <laughs> Don't make me cry, but I love you, man. <laughs> anyway, guys, we love you. The family loves you, but doesn't judge you. The Chris Foss Show. Go to the Chris Foss Show. Refer it to your family, friends, relatives. Sit down and cry with them, too. I don't know. Don't do that. Anyway, guys, go to YouTube.com for just Chris Voss. Hit the bell notification button. Goodreads.com for just Chris Voss. The big 130,000 LinkedIn group, a LinkedIn newsletter, and all those crazy places that the kids are playing at. The Chris Voss show is at these days as well. As always, we're probably in for some more brain bleeding. We had a, another guest on earlier this morning and, and, and she was like, do you, do people really brain 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 bleed from your show? Clearly, I am because I can't even pronounce it. Anyway, we have an amazing new author on the show. As always, we have these brilliant gentlemen. We put them and people, gentlemen and people and women too. Is aren't those people? I don't know. It's all those three, all of the above, and we put them in the Google machine, and out they come. He's the author of the newest book, September fifteenth, twenty twenty two. Just came out, hot off the presses. Soul winners. The Ascent of America's Evangelical Entrepreneurs by David Clary. He's on the show with us talking about his amazing book. And you're going to learn a lot today about how the world works and what's been going on in it. David Clary is an award-winning author and news editor at the San Diego Union Tribune. Clary's latest book is Soul Winners, as we mentioned before. It explores how America's entrepreneurial spirit has shaped evangelical ministries and influenced their worldview. Before joining the Union Tribune in 2002, he worked in a variety of editing and design roles at the Plain Dealer in Cleveland. Clary, a native of central New York, is a graduate of Syracuse University with degrees in newspaper journalism and political science. Welcome to the show, David. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. Thanks for coming. We certainly appreciate it as well. So give us your .coms, any place on the interwebs you want people to check you out. Oh, thank you. You can. My, I have an author website. That's davidclaryauthor.com. And, and on that site, I've got an excerpt from the book. I, have, I, I blog occasionally about things I see in the news. Um, so there's lots of, lots of interesting stuff to check out there. Awesome. But David, awesome. davidclaryauthor.com. There you go. And so what motivated you want to write this book? Well, yeah, I've always been fascinated by why people believe in what they believe in. And then I became very interested in how those private religious beliefs have an effect on the public arena. And so I, I just, I've just always been fascinated with religion and in the intersection with politics. And I, 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 I found evangelicalism to be such a use, a useful way to study that because they're so, as I say in the book, they're, they're so good at attracting audiences. They're, they're, you really need to understand the evangelicals to understand 
America and understand American politics. They're, they're such a cohesive group. They're a large group. And so I just, I just found that uh, to be endlessly fascinating. And I looked at them as entrepreneurs, you know, because mm-hmm. a lot of people look at them as through the prisms of uh, gender and race. And those are all really good ways to study them. But uh, looking at them as entrepreneurs and really, they're really, they're startup people. You know, they, 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 they look for a market and they try to, they try to find a market, they define a market and then they go after it. And that makes them really very American and, and very unusual in the religious climate. There you go. I don't think anybody's really keyed into the entrepreneurs behind American evangelical ministries, I suppose, per se. There's been a lot of discussion about them. So why did you pick the title Soul Winners? That's a, an old expression that goes back centuries. I think that it's been seen as the the job of pastors is to mm-hmm. to to win people to Christ, to win people to Jesus, and that's then that's that's been and then it, and you go back two hundred years, you go back fifty years, and even today, it's it's a, it's, it's such a, a constant theme. And I think that also the idea of winning, you know, that's 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 a very that's a very business idea. You win a market, you win share. And, and that, so it just seemed to me that it, it's an old phrase, but it's, it also has sort of a double meaning of you're, you're trying to win over people and win over and win and win at politics, win at business and mm-hmm. win at growing your church. That makes um, sense. My, my yeah. family that's very religious calls me the soulless loser, but <laughs> I seem to be winning. I don't know. I could, no matter perspective or whether or not, I'm, you know, whether I'm saved or not or whatever all that means. So let's get into the book. What, what did you find in your discovery as you went into it? Was, is this segmented to a certain amount of time or is this over, uh, you know, a hundred years or how does it, how, how did you build this out? I, I, you know, largely it's after, well, it's, I focus on the period after World War II. I do, I do start out with the way that America was founded and that America was not founded with an, an official religion, which is the first, you know, America was the first country in history not to have a state sponsored official religion. Mm-hmm. And that's, then that's one thing that's so interesting that you hear people say, you know, America is a Christian nation. And it, it's not true. It was not. America was explicitly not founded as a Christian nation. It was founded as, you know, the founding fathers, most of them were not even Christian. They were practicing Christians. They were, they believed religion was important and they liked, they thought it was a good cohesive, a cohesive thing for the people, but they, they didn't, they didn't think that, that America should be Episcopal or Presbyterian or a certain denomination. They saw how that worked in Europe and they didn't like to see the church have too much power. Yeah. So I did start with that, and I went in, went into some of the later figures. But I, I decided to concentrate more on World War II and after, because that's where you really see the the intermingling of business and politics and evangelicalism. Is you have know, the Billy Graham period, and then Joel Roberts and Jerry Falwell and his act, his activities in politics, and then the more modern folks like Joel Osteen and Rick Warren. I spent quite a lot of time writing about him. So I, I just thought, you know, I think for the reader, it's it's good to have some background, but I think if you give too much background, it, it becomes like, well, how did this connect it today? And so I, so I really wanted to focus on sort of the last 70, 75 years or so. Yeah, Billy Graham, I don't know, was he the first to really take religion to, you know, stadium level? I mean, he was holding holding stadiums and talking to presidents and I don't I, correct me if I'm wrong. You're, you're the historian here, but he, he kind of 
seem to have started that whole thing where, you know, ever since then we've seen evangelical top entrepreneurs mingling with presidents, white houses and stuff. Yeah, there, there, there were large scale evangelical leaders like Dwight L. Moody in around the turn of the century. He, he drew really large audiences, Billy Sunday in the 1910s, 1920s. But yeah, I think you're right. I think Billy Graham is really the the first in the sort of the modern age, the modern media age, the television age. You know, he's someone who was on, he used television very effectively from the very, from very early on. And uh, Oral Roberts also, he and Graham were born the same year and they, they, they really moved on, on parallel tracks. So it's interesting to look at both of their careers, though they were, they had some different, different theologies, but they also, they both used television. They drew large audiences in crusades, but also on, t- on TV. And, 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 and you're right. I mean, uh, Graham was, uh, very explicitly involved in politics. I, I think that evangelicals have had a conservative bent going back more than a hundred years, but he, he was a very close counselor to Dwight Eisenhower. Dwight Eisenhower leaned on him for advice about civil rights since Graham was a Southerner. He, he, he really listened to what Graham had to say. And Graham was very involved with Richard Nixon to his detriment. He, he regretted becoming so close to a president and and he was a defender of Nixon's until the very end. And then later tapes came out, White House tapes came out with Graham having anti-Semitic slurs and apologized for that later in life. But yeah, now and then with, with Trump, his, Trump's main advisor, religious advisor, is a woman named Paula White, who, who founded a mega church in Florida. Yeah. And she's a prosperity gospel person, someone who believes, who says that if you pray hard enough and you donate money, then you will get, you'll get tangible financial benefits. And mm-hmm. that's a very alluring idea. And Trump actually flipped, was flipping around one night and saw, saw her on TV because she had a talk show. She was a talk show host, like an Oprah style show. And he was just like, oh, she's a, she's really great on TV. She's blonde. You know, she's attractive. And so he contacted her and they became, they became very close. And then when Trump became president, she was, she was very close to Trump. She was in the White House quite a lot. She was probably the closest religious figure to a president since Billy Graham and Nixon in terms of the number of times in the White House, the impact on policy. And so, yeah, so that's why I thought if I could focus on the last 75 years, it, it, it brings a lot of what's happening now into sharper perspective. You can just see how you can see some of these patterns repeating. So what did you find in the book? Did you find that that has influenced, you know, their interest in politics, values of the government? What what factors that have had, you know, entrepreneurs, and I'm sorry, I'll object before that on that question. You know, as an entrepreneur, I think from a, a specialty kind of brain that most people don't think from, I think of making a widget. Uh, finding something that will sell, that will make profits, and then exploiting that to the highest thing that I possibly can in a in a in, in a good character way. When I say the word exploit, but, you know, basically taking in you know KFC, you know, you take a piece of chicken and a great recipe, and you're worldwide. And so you think from you think from a very money oriented very business-oriented, very expansive-oriented, how can I make more money doing this? You innovate. You're constantly going, how can we make more money? How can we do this? How can we do better? You know, ideally, the beauty of being an entrepreneur is you're 
if you serve others and provide a better product and improve their quality of life, you're usually paid directly in proportion to that, to the value usually. You know, a, a person who is a doctor, you know, obviously gets paid a whole lot more money than, say, somebody else because of, uh, you know, they saved your life. So because of that, we're a little bit more money geared than most people and generating more money and doing whatever the hell we want. In fact, a lot of, you know, our type of oligarchs, you know, they influence government to not have, they have as less regulation as possible so they can do whatever they want. Because I mean, once you reach pan-globalist level, you, you don't really care about democracy that much. You do business with anybody who'll do business with you. So what, what did you find how that entrepreneur sort of mindset fed into, you know, the last, what, 60, 70 years since World War II? Yeah, I think that the breakthrough that evangelicals made is that they, they're the biggest market of people. And if you're selling a product, the biggest market are people that don't own your product, right? So you go after, so, so their idea was you go after the unchurched. So the people who do not belong to a church, people who don't never belong to a church or don't care about church. And, and that was because before the mindset was always like, okay, I'm going to start, I'm going to, I'm, I'm the pastor of a Catholic church and I'm going to go after all the Catholics in this area. And, uh, and I'm, I'm going to give them what I believe they want. And what someone like Rick Warren, who's a really good example of a startup, a startup businessman, he was influenced by Peter Drucker, who is the founder of modern management theory. He, that was one of his main mentors. You know, and Drucker taught him that the customer decides what a business is. Mm-hmm. And, and you need to go after, you have to give customers value. And so, so Warren was from, he, he was in seminary in Texas and he didn't want to start a, he was a Southern Baptist. He didn't want to start a church in Texas. There's a Baptist church in Texas. There's so many. So he, he did, he did market research. He looked at, okay, hmm. what are the fastest growing areas? And this is in seventies, the late seventies. And he decided he found out the fastest growing place is Saddleback Valley in Orange County, California. So Louis moved, he, he literally, he, he and his wife picked up, packed up their truck and moved to Orange County, didn't know anybody. And he, and he, and he had, he started out with, there was no church. I mean, he just found a church in his living room and that it, he, he's met at the church congregation, met at schools, theaters, and anywhere he could find it in an actual building. But, it, you know, when he, when he went there, he went door to door and asked people, what do you want in the church? I mean, he, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of people, houses for weeks. And, and hmm. he just went, he just knocked on doors. What do you want in the church? And then he basically people said, you know, church is boring and, <laughs> and I don't like that there's no childcare, you know, cause I, I, I have my kids and they're, not, they're, they're not paying attention. And then also like, I feel like the, the church isn't relevant to what I want and you know, they're unfriendly. And when I, when I, when I, when you go to a church and you feel like, oh, everybody knows each other and I'm an outsider. So he designed, he designed Saddleback, his church is Saddleback Church. He designed his church around what people want. You know, he didn't, he didn't. He didn't dream up, uh, you know, uh, an idea. Here's what a church should be. And, and I'm going to give it to people. And then if they don't want it, then tough. You know, he, he, he really designed his church around the needs of the community. Mm-hmm. So when he started his church, you know, they had a high quality, high quality program for kids, you know, the childcare. He, he didn't, he dressed in a Hawaiian shirt and he just talked about, you know, things that were relevant to people and. And he understood the community. The, the community at that time was an, up, an upwardly mobile community and people that didn't, maybe they were, went to church when they were kids, but stopped going. So, so when he started his church, you know, there's no crosses, there's no statuary, there's no symbolism. It's, it was, it was just, we want to welcome everybody. We want people to feel comfortable. We don't want people, people to feel 
like they don't belong. And mm-hmm. so the church ended up being the largest in the country. It was 30,000 mm-hmm. members and, and he had a whole blueprint of growth. You know, his, his whole thing is about growth. You know, if companies need to grow and if, if companies are static and they just hold on to yesterday, they, they won't, they won't evolve. So he was not afraid to throw away things that didn't work. You know, and he, and he found a consultancy for thousands of other churches that, that followed mm-hmm. him. And then other, so there's other pastor, they call them pastorpreneurs, you know, where they, they do the same thing, where they, they have templates that you follow. And I, and I visited nine different churches, you know, for this book. And, and I went, I went to a broad range of them. And there's some similarities. They're very welcoming to, to newcomers. You know, there's a, there's a welcome desk and they give you, you know, a cooler and a t shirt and a hat and a pens and buy shit. I'm, I'm going to go join. Yeah. <laughs> I know they could do, I, you, you, they have a, you go with me a lot of have Starbucks, a Starbucks style coffee bar. Wait, so they give you, you know, yeah, they get free coffee. coffee. <laughs> I'm that I'm converting. Like, damn it, latte is not. It's, it's, <laughs> I don't get any coffee. I, so they're, 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 and then you go in there and it's just it's very comfortable seating. It's like going into a theater. You know, it's like yeah. going to see a Broadway show. It's it's stadium seating and there's no kneelers and you walk in and there's big video boards and there's there's usually a big band you know 12 piece band very high energy and you're not lost in the service you know there's no there's no like oh this is where i'm supposed to stand up this is where i'm supposed to kneel oh these guys are these people are praying this prayer i don't know what this prayer is and they want to make it as welcoming as they can and they and that's why they succeed they really give people what they want and just like any entrepreneur i mean you have to you have to give people what you have to fill a need. You know, that's mar- marketing 101 is filling it, filling a need and understanding what that need is. And they do that very well. People, something to commune to. The gentleman you were talking about earlier, is he the one who built the big, I forget, it's the crystal of the big glass church, that giant? Oh, that, that's also in Orange County. It's uh, that's Robert Schuler who did that. Okay. So that's that's a little further up the road in Orange County. But yeah, that's uh, he's also in the book. He's also in the book too because he was uh, he was very active on TV. He had the Hour of Power. You might remember that on syndication. He was oh, yeah. a very a very popular preacher. And the, you know, I, I actually talked to his son who it was a very interesting interview because the, the the whole the whole ministry collapsed because the the old man hung on too long you know it's and that's something you see a lot in these and, and with any with any family business you know like the old man doesn't want to leave and he stays around and and he actually had dementia and he was at these meetings and the, these meetings would go on for hours and nothing would be decided and uh, and he, he, he also stuck to what what worked 20 years ago but it wasn't working today so then i think the other problem a lot of these churches have is like a lot of there's a, there's a lot of husband and wife teams that operate these churches a lot of families and in-laws and it sort of becomes to, there's there's no there's no financial controls and there's a lot of self-dealing that goes on and a lot of people have jobs they shouldn't have and they have mm-hmm. they make money they shouldn't have so yeah Wait, robert Schuler is and so the church is actually the glass church is still there but it was because the uh the crystal cathedral went into bankruptcy they sold it to the catholic church in oh, orange county so that so now it's the uh, cathedral for the orange the, the Orange County's Catholic Church, which is sort of a funny irony because it's, you know, it's uh, actually went in there. It's, it was interesting to see how it's it's been outfitted to be a Catholic church. An old guy hanging on too long, running his business like the old days. Were you talking about my Raiders and Al Davis? <laughs> Sorry, I'm a little angry over this, <laughs> over this season. That, 
that's interesting too, where it's like, you know, you, I don't want, you know, I don't want to veer off too far, but, but you have his son, you know, right. It sign somebody who should run a, a large corporation or a large company. Probably not, you know, but he only got it because he inherited it. So I mean, you see that in football, you see it in baseball where you have like the, the son has it and he doesn't really know what he's doing. And he, yeah. You know, and he probably uh, with with that haircut. But but no, I mean, really, what you're you're mentioning is this: these are what entrepreneurs and owners and these guys are really business people. They're they're right uh, when you peel back the layers. You know, it's funny you're talking about coffee and all the free stuff you can get at going to churches. You you might have me converted. I mean, I've been an atheist (laughs) for years. I don't get free coffee when I go to Spirit Rhino on Sundays to pray. Sorry, I had to put that joke in there. So, but let's talk about, do you cover Pat Robertson in this 700 Club? And you, you talked, you, we kind of led into the mega churches and the big broadcasting sort of thing. I think you talk about that in your book as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pat Robertson, you know, he started CBN, the Christian Broadcasting Network. And that was, uh, he was a, he was a real visionary. He was ahead of his time. He, he could see where cable was going and he, he was very early to, uh, to recognize uh, if I can buy, you know, the, by the time or by the, what do you call it, the satellite time, you know, that, that, that will, uh, you know, that will disseminate to millions of homes. And so he, he was really ahead of his time. He ran for president in 1988. So he was, didn't, didn't get too far, but, but it was, he did better than I think most people thought. And then from the ashes of that came the, the Christian coalition, you know, which was, was Robertson and, and Ralph Reed, who I interviewed for the book. And, uh, and it, it was, it was interesting talking to Reed about his, his mentality. He was very young when he started with, with Pat Robertson and the Christian coalition. And, he, and, and Reed was really a political organizer. You know, he's not a pastor, but he, he's, he knows how to organize. And, and he, and he, he, he did a very effective job kind of elevating elevating those issues, you know, because you compare that to the moral majority, a lot of people talk about that. And that was in the eighties with, with Cherry Falwell. But a lot of, a lot of the people that were running the moral majority were pastors and they weren't political types. And Jerry Falwell was very, very blunt about, about things he would say. And he would often, you know, he would often be his own worst enemy, you know, with the, with his comments where Reed is very smooth and very, he's very PR aware. And he, so a lot, so that's where the family values language comes in, you know, like where Jerry Fallow would rail, rail against abortionists and uh, it, it used very harsh language or Reed would use very comforting language. Like we want, we want to defend the, the, the rights of the family and family values and, and, and things that or, or school choice was another one, you know, like we want to have school choice. Well, that just, that means that they don't want to have as much money go to our public schools and more money going to schools. That's. That's what school choice really means. But um, yeah, so he was a, he was a very effective, effective organizer. Pat Robertson. Yeah. He's, he's, he's also, had, you know, he also steps in it quite a lot with his, his comments after 9 11. He, he and Falwell were blaming, you know, the, the abortionists for uh, the attack on, on uh, September 11th. And oh. he, apo- he, apo- he apologized for that. And, you know, they railed against gay people as well. So, but he, he was, yeah, and he didn't, he never had a church. He only had a TV, a TV ministry. You know, so huh. it's, interesting how these people you know like uh, right talked about rick warren before he never had a tv ministry he only he, he, he never you know he just never wanted that mm-hmm. they look at robert Schuler, he had a tv ministry and a large church you look at Joel Osteen, and it, it pretty much is just a tv show and it, it is a church as well but the emphasis is definitely on the tv for him 
So what did you what did you surmise in your book, or do you surmise anything in your book, or do you just kind of profile these guys, talk about the, the slant of entrepreneurship in in what they do and what they built? Is there is there any sort of thing that you say? Well, you know, because of this, here we are. Yeah, I think you know, I I I, I the, the hardest part of the book was deciding who to leave out because there's so many interesting characters that I really wish I could have spent more time on, but it would have been a 500 page book, and I don't. <laughs> I don't really have the I don't have the time to write to write book too. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but the people I looked at, I, I think you, you just, you just, uh, I came away with understanding their the mentality of of, a, of an entrepreneur and, and 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 how many times over it, these ministries were supported by big business, supported by wealthy people. I've been going back more than a hundred years. You know, I write about Billy Sunday, who was. Uh, a really well-known professional baseball player, uh, and then he became a, a pastor, and then he was a traveling, you know, a cru- tra- traveling uh, crusader, and he would draw, you know, twenty thousand people in New York City for for weeks and weeks, and it, it, he was so popular there was no church that could actually hold the number of people who wanted to see him, so they had to actually build a tabernacle out of nothing that would that would cover the size of a football field, and so how, how do you build you know a tabernacle out of nothing? Well. He had John D. Rockefeller Jr. would would be on his finance board, and he would he would tap all of his rich friends to build this huge tabernacle for Billy Sunday because you know they liked what Sunday had to say. Sunday was against labor unions. He was very pro. He didn't think that there should be social service. He didn't like he didn't he didn't like the idea of you know of we need to help the poor and have the government has to get involved. His attitude is it's all we live in an individualist society, and it's all about soul winning it's all about converting people to jesus it's not about running soup kitchens and and uh, and helping helping people and and those are those are messages that that really if you go down the decades it's very consistent where it's these these people have this mentality of we get help from really rich people we get help from from businesses to fund our ministries and then in in turn you know we say the things we share a lot of the same ideas that, that these that our that our benefactors have and and now we've in the last certainly the four, last forty years we've seen it interwoven so closely with politics and and, and that, to the point where the Republican Party is is the most important element of the Republican Party are evangelicals white white evangelicals I should say yeah. and that 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 is that they are they are the definers of what that party will do and so you cannot you could not win the nomination for president and not have a supporting evangelical that's it's not, it's not possible they're so and they 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 turn out they vote they donate they organize now in a way that's larger than their numbers you know that really makes sense you know one of the problems i've always had because i read the bible when i was young i grew up in religion the you know to me you know when jesus throws the money changers out of the temple that's been one of the biggest dichotomies that i felt and i think other people have seen it too where you you see these you know these ultra rich Joel Steen guys you know you see who's the one guy who's like you know they, lately there's been a whole bunch of them they're like you need to make me rich you need to buy me a jet you know I need a Gulf Stream whatever fifty million yep. we need y'all to you know fork up I remember we used to have a, a business that I worked with this when I was young where we would get all the newsletters from the Southern Baptists not just Southern Baptists but all the churches around the the nation. And I was always surprised when I would see the ads in it that would say, make sure that you sign over your will 
to give your estate to the church. Screw your kids or something. I didn't say that, but basically that was it. I'm like, why would you give your, why would you give all your crap to your church? Give it to your kids. But I don't know. I, I've seen kids and I could probably understand why some kids, but uh, no, I, I, you know, the biggest dichotomy is you look at that, but it's interesting to me. You've, you've tapped onto something that for years, the Republican party has been anti-union. Of course, if you understand, you know, a lot of the history, we've talked about great authors like yourself on the show, going back to the Southern, the great Southern strategy of Nixon, why they did that, the changeover unions from Republicans to Democrats and, you know, the whole funding and, and all that money thing. But that, that explains, why they are pro-business and they think from that entrepreneur slant as opposed to, hey, you guys are the money changers in the temple. That makes sense to me now. Yeah, and one of the real stumbling blocks, a lot, you know, when I talk about this book, you know, to friends or family or it, you know, it, your colleagues, you know, I think one thing they always say is, why are these, you know, these people, these pastors have all this money and they've got private planes and mansions and that's not right and you know, and, and you, yeah, you mentioned, yeah, Joel Osteen. I mean, he lives, you know, he and his wife, they're co-pastors at Lakewood Church in Houston. They, they own a $12 million mansion in Houston. Mm-hmm. And I think their net worth is about 50 million. And, you know, I think that people have a real problem w- with that. And mm-hmm. why, why aren't they giving money to the poor? Why are they taking such large sums of money? And I, I, I think what I've, what I found out is that I think we, you know, America is an aspirational, culture you know we we all think we have, we all think we can be rich someday mm-hmm. and 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 i think when you're told by these pastors and you look at these pastors and they have some of the younger pastors have thousand dollar sneakers and they have you know they've got fancy cars and i think they look at that as something to aspire to that this person came from poverty or and that, that could be me you know this person is a success and that could be me if i if i pray hard enough and if i continue if i give donations and I listen to what this person has to say. If I buy the books and I go to, you know, listen to the podcast and I go, I go to church, go to this person's church, then I can, I, I can be successful too. That's a really powerful, a very powerful American idea is, is this aspirational culture. And it, and the evangelicals tap into that very effectively. And I mean, you mentioned the private plane and this, I figure there's pretty of a, a guy named Kenneth Copeland. He's, a, he's been on TV for decades. Uh, he has his own private airplane or air, his own private airport outside of Fort Worth, Texas. And he has uh, several private planes and he, and he, and he actually tells his followers, I need to upgrade. I have to upgrade to a Gulf Stream 5. And people give him the money. Like, yeah. And he, and he brags, he's like, you, you bought this, you bought this, this $20 million aircraft. And he, he posted a video, uh, bragging about it. And, and it, to me, that is extraordinary that, that, that people would give money to somebody who obviously is extremely wealthy. But I think if you think of the, you know, the, the mentality that same people have, they, they see hope, you know, they see like, oh, this person, if I follow this person, I can, I can be like him. And I, maybe I think I have a, have have success, financial success in life, and turn around my 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 financial uh, ruin, go from ruin to riches. I mean, it's it's a very powerful idea. Yeah, Kenneth Copeland. Yeah, and I yeah, I think he was one of the guys I was thinking of. There was yeah. there's a famous video of him being confronted by a reporter. Yes, yeah, really kind of a crazy reply, and I see it all the time everywhere. But yeah, it's it's. America is kind of a weird place with our whole capitalism system. Like no one, there seems to, I've read studies or, or at least suggestions of studies that, that people 
we all believe, you know, there's a little line that I love from Fight Club. We all, we're, we're all raised being told that we're going to millionaires or rock stars and we're slowly finding out that we will be. And we're very pissed off about it. The, uh, if I can go with that right, forgive me if I get it wrong. Don't sue me, Brad. Pitt. Just keep calling me for uh, beauty advice. But I gave him horrible marriage advice though. So that didn't work out. Anyway, I would never tell him to do that. But segues aside, you know, it's, it's, they say that that's one of the reasons with capitalism, why we don't want to, why people are kind of like, well, we shouldn't give the oligarchs or, you know, rich people rules because I plan on being rich someday. And it's kind of this delusion that, that we have in this country. And it's interesting that still that plays into the um, religion aspect of our country. It's really yeah, it's done that for for many years. You know, I mean, you look at you go back to Earl Roberts. I mean, you would have his whole philosophy was called seed fate, and so it's the idea that you have to just like if you're if you want to grow a plant, you have to start with a seed. So you plant a seed, and then the plant will grow. Well, the same is true with church. So if you plant a seed, which means a donation, you have you pray over you pray over it, and then it'll grow, it'll blossom into financial. Riches, and that that was something he taught, mm-hmm. and that's still taught today. I mean, by I I, I I turn on TV and they talk about seed faith, planting a seed. So you you and, and if it doesn't work, then you will. You got to plant another seed. Maybe you need to donate more. You need to <laughs> you need to pray harder. <laughs> and and it, and it it does get to the point. I know it it is sad because there are people that they don't have the money to give to this. Yeah, they don't have they don't have the wherewithal to. To spend, you know, even if it's fifty dollars a month, like that's a lot of money yeah. uh, for someone who's older and is on a fixed fixed income. But if they think, if they think that, well, that could turn into something, uh, that could turn into a a, a great fortune. And uh, why not me? You know, why can't it happen to well, me? I believe. But it is it is sort of sad because you think of like, well, if it's not happening for you, then oh, there's something wrong with me. Yeah. Maybe I'm not praying hard enough, or I don't deserve it, or I'm not I'm not faithful enough, and it's. I, I I am troubled with that because I do feel like that's that's you're now you're now you're going into exploitation of people's yeah. feelings and uh, and, they, and their money. They, I mean, and their money. And, yeah, there's people that be broke. I I you know I had a relative that came one time said I need to refinance my house because I can't afford to live right now and I need to take some cash out of my equity because I can't afford to live. I'm going broke, and I'm like, okay, well let's let's do that. I own a mortgage company for 20 years. So I sent down their finances and they were out putting $250 a month to their church. And I'm like, you contribute to a billion dollar church. That's one of the 12 largest landholders. I think it's eight now largest landholders in America. I'm pretty sure God will give you a break for a little while. If you want to skip that 250 a month, because that would actually really do well for you. But no, we couldn't give that up. And it's, it's really interesting. You see these, like there was the preacher recently. And I think in New York, who was, Mug yeah. wearing a million dollars on the stage. That's like, right. Who would do that? Number one, but number two, who would do that without security? Or maybe they were right. security. I don't know. They got jumped. But yeah, it's just it's just insane. But you've helped explain a lot of things as to why you know I, I've always kind of looked at church from the Jesus you know give and and whatever, and I've kind of wondered why these guys have that sort of thing. But it explains a lot to me. Explains a lot. And those of you who'd like to give to the Chris Voss show, you can go to iTunes, give us a five-star review over there. And I promise you, you will have prosperity of a great feeling when you do. Might last five seconds or something, but uh, uh, you will have it or something. You'll have something. I don't know what it is. So this has been very insightful. Anything more you want to tease out in the book before we go? 
No, I, I really, I, I really appreciate the time, Chris, and the discussion. And, you know, I, 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 I really, I really appreciate being able to talk about all this. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. One thing I did want to mention, I'm a big, I've lived in Vegas for 20 years and uh, your book, Gangsters to Governors, which yeah. we should plug into. Yeah. That, that was, book. that was my first book. So it came out five years ago. And yeah, that was, uh, it, it's kind of it's interesting that I wrote about gangsters and then I wrote about pastors. But there are some, simil- there are some similarities where a lot of those, those, those casino operators, they were entrepreneurs too, you know, people like yeah. Steve Wynn and, you know, they, they took a, they took a risk, you know, they, they, they got involved in a business. And I also like the mentality of the people, like a lot, there's a lot of gamblers that, that don't, that should not be spending money sitting on a slot machine and, you know, I, I mean, you've, you've been, you've been in Vegas and you've seen, you know, you go through this, you go through the casino and you see somebody on an oxygen tank and they're, they got two oh, going and it's like, oh, this, it's so sad because like they don't have the money for this and they're, huh. and they're just losing money. They're losing money twice as fast as they would have just at one machine. Huh. But there's that little old ladies like, playing those, those, yeah. those, the, those penny machines, yeah, with the oxygen tank. And you're like, honey, you, you're on fixed income. You need to go home. Why not me? Why can't I win? I could win the jackpot. And then that's similar to the seed faith. It was like, well, why can't I? I could turn my life around. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, every, every, when you live in Vegas, everybody you meet that's a, that addicted gambler, they always have a system and the system always wins, but they're always broken. They just need to borrow money from you. And then they yeah. always have a pocket full of their loser receipts. And then, yes. but they, they always tell you, they'll tell you about their losses from, most times, but usually because they need to borrow money. But then they'll tell you, you know, hey, I just won $4,000 on the Royal or whatever at the bar. And you're like, yeah, but you've lost 20000 this month. So, like, who cares? They're like, no, you don't understand. It's Their, their version of math is good. But to the Goodmans, the, the gangster lawyers, lawyers for the gangsters, right. in fact, Oscar Ryan. I mean, he's a really nice guy. I think he was a oh, pretty good mayor that. for us. I think I, I think he was a pretty good mayor for us. I don't know. Vegas mm-hmm. is kind of a town like we're all drunk here. Like, what do we know? It's good. <laughs> I don't know. But I, I loved how he would always show up with, uh, you know, the girls. The, oh, yeah. The, the, <laughs> the girls. girls. <laughs> martini glass in hand. But, you know, I mean, he was a, he was he defended a lot of the big mobsters. The right. Right. In the movie Casino. And uh, I think probably a few others were good fellows or whatever. But uh, yeah, and and then he goes to be, you know, he goes to be the the big guy in the thing. So great book there. Last question I have for you, since you're a San Diego editor, the San Diego Union Tribune, and we mentioned, we kind of forayed into football. How how are you guys doing down there losing the Chargers? Is that? that? <laughs> yeah, that was a very traumatic, uh, a very That's traumatic mean. experience. I thought it was mean. Yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah, we yeah, it's interesting because I think there's still some residual Chargers love here. You know that, especially when Rivers and Gates were still on the team. Because I think, yeah. I, think I, I was a fan of those players. So as long as they, even though they were in LA, actually they were in Carson during that time, I, I still supported them. But now that they're retired, it's 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 hard to root for them. And you know, so we talked about like you know Dean Spanos. <laughs> like this is a guy who was a son. You know, Alex Spanos was the owner. of the, patriarch and he was the guy who well, he made his fortune he was an immigrant and then he and then his son inherits it and his son couldn't run a two-car you know parade i mean it's just he just doesn't know what he's doing and he's not smart and like he should have taken the las vegas deal like he could have had he could have had las vegas stolen the stadium and he could have had that market all to himself so instead he's 
he's sharing a stadium with the Rams. You know, he's a, they, we call them the L.A. Lodgers. You know, because because they're they're paying rent to us. You know, to Stan Kroenke, and they're and nobody cares about the the Chargers in Los Angeles. I mean, people in Los Angeles care about the you know, USC and high school football and the Chargers. I mean, there's no interest in them. So it's, yeah, it's sad, and you know, we it's. I do take some, you know, some pleasure when they, when they, you know, very typically give up a game at the end and, you know, <laughs> stumble well, all over themselves. Was that with Rivers or after Rivers? <laughs> no, like, no, like, <laughs> yeah, Sorry. yeah, that's true. Yeah. So I, I, I like, I don't mind when they stumble and they don't take the playoffs. It's like, I get a little thrill out of that. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm a Raiders fan. We, we just give it the season right away. So there's that. <laughs> it's weird that Rivers should have at least. I think he should have at least got a Super Bowl. Their Super Bowl. I know. I mean, I never did like him. I bet I. But that's because I'm a Raiders fan. Yeah, I never even played them one. Yeah, it didn't he? Didn't he went to the playoffs? Right, so, went to the playoffs. Yeah, he went to the his old championship game for most of his career. Yeah. But the the older man, Peyton. But yeah, I mean, he he he's he always seemed like a great quarterback who should have, but. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the business. Anyway, it's yeah. wonderful to have you on, David. Great oh, great to be here. Covered the whole gambit from... Well, you know, it's, what a great conversation. Right? Something for everybody. <laughs> there you go. Something for everybody. Yeah. So give us your plugs one more time, your .com, so people can find you on the internet. Yeah, so it's davidclaryauthor.com. And so there you can find an excerpt of the book and then my blog. And then the, the, the book Soul Winners is available now through Amazon, Barnes & Noble, you know, anywhere, that, anywhere that sells books. So... Uh, Please, please pick it up. There you go. And then you can, if you want to do a second book called Soulless Losers, what my <laughs> calls me. I think Satan or Black Sheep is the other terms that they use for me, but that's okay. I pray for them every time I go to Spear Marino. Or maybe I'll do a book, another book about gambling, you know, soulless. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> soulless. <laughs> that'd be, that'd be, I got some stories for you from living in Vegas. Yeah, yeah no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's certain people that when you meet them in this town, you're just like, we can't be friends because you have a problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're going to drag me down with you. <laughs> yeah. Can I borrow some money? Uh, where's yeah. the checkbook? I don't know. I can't find it. Why is the bank? Yeah. Bank? Anyway, thank you very much, David, for being on the show. Uh, really thank you, Chris. It. Thank Thanks you so much. much. Thanks for my audience for tuning in. Go to goodreads.com for chess Chris Foss. Go to youtube.com for chess Chris Foss. Go to LinkedIn, all those crazy places all the kids are playing. Be sure to order up the book wherever fine books are sold. Stay away to those alley bookstores. Soul Winners, The Ascent of America's Evangelical Entrepreneurs, came out September 15, 2022. Be good to each other. Stay safe, and we'll see you guys next time.